0: Namaste and welcome to the third of the Hindu American Foundation's Coping with COVID webinar series. Um, tonight we have a dialogue on the global crisis and spiritual well-being. In the midst of the COVID pandemic, is the role of spirituality? What is the role of spirituality in this time of crisis? How can we better cope? What is the best way forward? We're truly blessed to have with us tonight two modern-day masters of Vedanta for an enlightening and enriching dialogue on the salience of sadhana during these uncertain times. I had the honor of hearing a dialogue on balancing bhakti and jnana yoga between Swami Atma Rupananda and Swamini Swatma Vidyananda in India earlier this year. And I'm just so thrilled that you too will get to sip from their well of wisdom. Before introducing them more formally, just a few housekeeping items. We will be recording tonight's program and it will be released on the Hindu American Foundation's podcast, That's So Hindu. Participant phones and speakers have been muted given the number of registrants we have tonight. And we will basically start with a dialogue between Swamiji and Swaminiji that will last about 30 minutes or more, followed by questions and answers. We will try to get to as many questions and answers as we can, but as is the quest for uh, self-knowledge, questions are going to be many. Time we will be short on tonight. So I would encourage you to reach out uh, to both Swamiji and Swaminiji um, at their respective institutions should you have any further burning questions that we're not able to get to tonight. Um, we will not be able to use the raise hand feature or the chat feature for questions. Or sorry, we won't be able to use the chat feature. So if you can put your questions through the Q and A, uh, we will not also be able to answer the raise your hand feature just due to the large number of people. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce first Swami Atmarupananda who discovered the Vedanta tradition of Hindu Dharma as an American teenager and developed what has become a lifelong fascination and dedication to self-study. He joined the Ramakrishna Order of India as a monk in 1969 in India and subsequently spent many years in India engaged in monastic, scholarly, and spiritual training. For many years, he has traveled widely in the world, giving lectures and retreats, speaking at conferences dedicated to finding a spiritual foundation for civilization and participating in interspiritual dialogue. He now serves as the resident monk of the Vedanta Society of Greater Houston. Swami Swatma Vidyananda is a long-time and accomplished disciple of Parampuja Sri Swami Dayanand Saraswati, the founder of Arshvidya Gurukulam, located in Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania. She splits her time between Washington, D.C. and Oregon at two affiliate centers of Arshavidya. She's an internationally respected scholar and practitioner of Advaita Vedanta. Swaminiji was responsible for the inception of the All India Movement for Seva, Aim for Seva, a nonprofit enabling rural Indian children to receive a proper education. And most recently, they're very active in uh, COVID Seva here in the United States. She was also a founding member of the Global Women's Peace Initiative, an international network of women and men's spiritual and community leaders. Without any further ado, welcome Swamiji. Welcome Swaminiji. Shall we begin with uh, Sahana Babatu Swamiji?
1: Sure, Matati, that would be great.
0: Om,
1: sahana vabatu. Sahana, vabatu. sahana sahavir yankarava hai edejasvinavadhitamasma vidrishavaye om shanti so because of a lag in the uh, transmission and the reception, there's a, uh, a group chanting that uh, comes out interesting.
2: <laughs> it was an elongated prayer, which we need yes. these days.
1: Which we need, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so, so it's a delight to be with you again, Mataji. We were just uh, together last uh, the beginning of last month when uh, no one expected uh, the... Covid nineteen to do what it has done now.
2: Yes, absolutely. And uh, you know, last time when we met, you said that this was the Atma Swatma show, and
1: uh, <laughs> yes.
2: I thought that was very sweet of you to say that. And um, I do wish that we were bringing the sh- this this show under better circumstances than than you know than what we have right now. But, yes, um, you know, uh, I would like to get from you. I would like you to start with um, your reflections on, on uh, what we are encountering right now.
1: Yes, yes. Well, first of all, speaking of the, from the standpoint of just experience of people right now, One of the first things I think people feel is just a disorientation because everything is different. Uh, Suddenly the things that are the normal props of our life, the things that we depend on for a sense of stability, uh, that's all uh, removed. And so there's a great sense of disorientation, which of course is connected to confusion, uh, a sense of disharmony. So that's maybe uh, one of the first things that people uh, feel in a crisis like this. And uh, then, of course, there's the sense of uh, uh, the uh, isolation, the loneliness that comes by social distancing. Uh, and uh, uh, already in the West in particular, there was already the problem of a sense of loneliness among many people, but now that is uh, wide, uh, widespread. Another problem, of course, is uh, and just listing some of the experiences people are having right now first, and then we'll come to uh, the causes and solutions and so forth, is a sense of boredom. Because suddenly there's, people are not able to go to work as they could uh, before, they're not able to engage in social activities, uh, gyms are closed, uh, restaurants are closed. Uh, so I saw yesterday someone uh, said that uh, people will become so bored that everyone will end up learning how to fold fitted sheets. Uh, that is the, the bottom part of a bed sheet, which no one knows how to fold. But <laughs> in the absence of anything else to do, people will learn how to do even that. And so boredom is a problem, uh, loneliness, and uh, isolation, disorientation. And also there comes a sense of a loss of meaning because most people, they get a sense of meaning from what they do. Uh, I am a swami, I am a carpenter, I am a a business manager. Uh, That's what I do, that's uh, how I organize my life. You see the same thing with people that um, are caregivers, say for an elderly parent or for a spouse who's uh, very ill, Uh, They may spend all of their time for years working to serve the person, and then suddenly when the person uh, may pass away, then uh, uh, their whole life has been organized in such a way, and now suddenly you would think, well, now they have uh, time to get on with life, but no, suddenly there's this sense of being disoriented because everything that defined me is gone. So these, I think, are some of the experiences people are having.
2: Yes. Um, uh, yes, I agree with you completely. And, you know, what I uh, think, you know, when when this whole thing started to unfold and one after the other, we had all these stay-at-home orders, I started to think that it was like Chaturmasya, a ritual followed by sannyasis, where yeah. in the ancient times, for four months of every year, Swamiji, as you well know, are acquainted with this, um, you know, the 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 people the swamis would not move from their place no travel nothing and everything would stop and uh, you know very minimal activity it was a time to go within and uh, recharge you know rest yes. and recharge and uh, in a way I think this coronavirus which I have started to call Karuna virus, because it has been really compassionate for the environment in some ways. It has been very compassionate for all of us in certain ways. What it has done is it has uh, forced everyone into into a, a kind of a you know into into a sannyasa. You know, sannyasa means renunciation. So into a life of renunciation, where as you beautifully pointed out, you cannot consume. You know whatever you are used to consuming, you, you don't have the same props as you just said that one is used to, and also as you pointed out, there is no um, sense like a kind of a sense of self definition that you could cling to you know you cannot cling to this self definition because there is really you know you, you, if you're not going to work what what are you you know maybe you don't even have uh, a job yes. or whatever it is and uh, so you know in a way it has uh it has become a a leveler for you know everything and um one more thing, you know, I wanted to uh, get your insights about uh, something that I have been thinking about. I have been thinking about the famous verse in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Yada yada hi dharma glanir bhavati Bharata, you know, that one, yes.
1: you know, where yeah. uh,
2: the First Lord uh, Krishna promises that whenever there is any kind of a neglect or a abuse of dharma, Dharma is, you know, uh, uh, the way of life and the, uh, the the righteous path. That there, you know, uh, that there will be some kind of a, you know, uh, avatar coming. And so I wanted yes. to get your uh, insights on uh, coronavirus as perhaps an avatar. What do you think? <clears throat>
1: Yes, yes, that's a very good point. In fact, one of the things I was thinking of when you said uh, 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 about uh, uh, koruna and uh, corona yes. is that in our tradition, in the Ramakrishna tradition, of course, the idea of the Divine Mother is very prominent. Yes. And uh, so we often speak of the Divine Mother as Corunamoi, Corunamoi yes. uh, ma. Yes. And so in Belarmut, where I was recently, and I just got back from India uh, a couple of days ago, Uh, We were uh, calling the coronavirus, uh, (laughs) Corona Moima, because it has made everyone uh, stop. It has made everyone become more reflective. That can be painful. I don't, uh, uh, I certainly won't deny the difficulties uh, that many, many people are facing and uh, the uh, some extreme difficulties people are in. At the same time, uh, one of the things we have to learn in life is how to deal with life as it actually is. Not as we want it to be, not as we dream it could be, but how it actually is. And this is forcing people to stop. uh, To stop and to think and to become reflective. And also, as you were talking about the chatul I was thinking in a similar vein that um, uh, the old uh, tradition it's not just an old tradition, there are people who still do it, who follow the four uh, ashramas of life, the four stages of life. And so there's uh, the, the Vana Praha Prastha stage of life, where you go into retirement. Um, and so this is a trial run for Braha, the Vana Prastha stage of life. That is when suddenly we have to stop our normal activities and find a way to live uh, when our normal props are taken away. And uh, so, yes, the, the uh, yada yada hi Glani glanir bhavati bharata, yes. etc., that uh, this also is can be seen. In fact, everything should be seen if we, if we can bring ourselves to do it uh, as a divine gift,
2: yes.
1: uh, as something which everything in life comes to us as a gift if we know how to accept it. And yes. so this also is a gift.
2: Yes. Um, Please tell, tell us, how do you go about, how, how do you think one goes about uh, seeing this as a gift, Swamiji?
1: Yes, well, a, a little a bit ago at the beginning of our conversation, I mentioned the problem with the loss of meaning, because people have a sense of meaning because of the things they have to do. I've got to do this, and it gives me a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to get out of bed in the morning, and suddenly all of that is taken away and uh, but uh, in spiritual life uh, what we try to do uh, is to find a larger meaning which is not dependent on what i do uh, what i have to do my duties and so forth all of those come with uh, our uh, come under the sense of meaning. The sense of meaning, if we have a larger sense of meaning to life what the purpose of life is and so forth, then everything else that we do, family and uh, work and all of that, comes into uh, the, uh, uh, is colored by that overriding sense of meaning. And so one of the things that we need to do and we need to do it in ordinary times and right now where we suddenly see the absolute essential nature uh, of this is to, uh, to have a view of life. A view of life and a view of existence and a view of our own purpose uh, which includes life as it is. That is, which, see, which is able to accept life as it is. Uh, uh, life, everyone wants to be happy. But life isn't always happy. Everybody wants to uh, have success, but life is not always successful. And uh, the Gita, over and over again, it uh, reminds that the labha labho, jajaryajayao labha labho, asukaduka, sidya sidyo, samobhutwa, etc. Being equal in the pairs of, pairs of opposites, And so if we have a sense of purpose, an eventual sense of purpose, which is uh, beyond the changes of life, then we're able to move through the changes of life uh, uh, with a steady rudder. Otherwise, if our sense of purpose is limited to something which is uh, right here, right now in time and space and all, all of that, we find that life is oftentimes buffeting us from side to side where we can't grab that which we're looking for. But if we have a larger sense of purpose, then we find that we have something which we're moving towards when times are good, when times are bad, when times are going our way, when times are not going our way, when we're successful, when we're not successful. Um, And so finding a larger sense of meaning and purpose, which uh, carries us uh, through uh, the difficulties of life.
2: Very well put. Very, very nice. If I can add to that, may I add to that?
1: Yes, yes, certainly. Please, please do.
2: uh, What I thought, uh, as you were talking, two things really, you know, um, I um, clocked into. The first one was the need to see life as it is, as opposed to how... I might want it to be, you know. Uh, And this is really the essence of what we call Vedanta. This is the essence of, you know, this is the bread and butter of Vedanta is to drop the subjectivity. And Uh, to drop this subjectivity, and by subjectivity I mean that we have a way of running a parallel show.
1: hmm.
2: There is Bhagavan's show, Ishvara's show, you know, the goddess's show, Karuna show is now, you know, (laughs) all over the world. She's making herself known. And then there is one's personal projection, you know, in the form of Raga and Dvesha, strong preferences and strong prejudices. So with this, I color my own world and I try to live in that world. And then I don't feel that there is anything wrong in this attempt to do this at all, except, you know, this little parallel show is, you know, is within the larger show and it keeps hitting against that because Uh, there is no, you know my shakti as an individual embodied in a body-mind-sense complex is, is governed by that shakti of, of Bhagavan, which is, uh, you know, limitless, which is, you know, so my shakti is inhibited by my mind, by my body, and then so you cannot fight with that show. So therefore, uh, yeah. the, the scales from the vision the subjective scales from the vision have to have to just you know um, come down. They have to come down so that I can be with the world as it is. And what is we say is Ishvara, you know, which is mm-hmm. our name for God. And if you spell Ishvara in English, what are the first two letters? Is Is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I never thought of that. That's a very good point.
2: And that Ishvara ultimately is you know revealed to to be the B I, and that is that is basically what it is. But even if we don't go that far, if we don't take Vedanta all the way, we still are looking at at Ishvara. And here I think I'd like to say one more thing, you know, if I may. This, you know. Uh, We have this sometimes a funny idea of Ishvara as some kind of a guy in the sky, you know, who is dispensing bad, you know, Uh. karma or good karma, you know, rewards and punishment to people. But that's not the vision. That's not the Hindu vision. That's not the vision of this dharma at all. So basically, you know, you what we are looking at are the vast orders of the universe, which are manifestations of Bhagavan, which are manifestations of Ishvara. So you cannot say why is Ishvara, you know, doing this because that's mm-hmm. not a correct question. The correct question is, you know, with the the answer is because Ishvara is this; it's not doing this. You see, so this is what I have to, you know. I have to see that oh, this, this vast universe, you know, which, which is confronting me, this vast universe which is confronting me, I have to make peace with it. I have to be okay with what is. That is basically what I wanted to say.
1: Uh, very good points. Very good points. And uh, so taking off of that or, uh, and adding to it uh, in the same vein, uh, first, one of the things that uh, many people have, that one of the ideas that many people project onto God is God as judge. And God doing things to the world because people are sinful, doing things to the world because he doesn't like uh, what people are doing. No, that, uh, that idea of God, we have to take out that God is a punisher. God is castigating humanity. The coronavirus is here because God is not happy with the direction people are going. Uh, what kind of God is that? I project, because I'm judgmental, because I like to punish uh, people who don't do what I uh, like them to do, I think that God is uh, like that also. Yes. No, that's not uh, the uh, picture of God. Along with that, uh, let me mention the, um, the, the uh, meaning of the image of Kali.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, many people seeing Kali think, oh, that's the castigating mother. Yeah. No, no, the idea of the symbolism of the image of Kali the, uh, with her four hands, two giving uh, blessings and freedom from fear, and two, uh, two holding the severed head and the sword, is not that uh, uh, she uh, uh, is a punishing goddess. No, the idea is that she's the mother. Yes. Uh, that Ishwara is the mother heart of the universe, whether we see Ishwara as Krishna or Ram or Shiva or Ganesha or whatever, however we see, uh, but the heart of the universe uh, uh, is a mother heart. And so the meaning of the image of Kali is that everything, everything that is, is Ishwara. And if I take the experiences that come to me uh, as uh, uh, a gift of the mother, from the loving heart of the mother, yes, then I see the th- experiences I have in a very different way. Yes, and one of the strange things that uh, we find if we begin to do that is. That we, uh, And this is consistent with the law of karma, is that I begin to see that my experience of the universe is really custom made for me, yes. as it is for everyone. Uh, and so when I look at the big picture and see all of the people suffering, then of course it's very confusing because it's, you see why all of these innocent people are suffering. But if I can look at, let me first look at my own experience and see, I see everything that comes to me, there seems to be a reason for it. And there seems to be something I can learn from it. And all I need to do is to participate with what's happening. Yes. Uh, That is, uh, participation means just accepting what is and dealing with it. Yes. And in that, I find that everything is helping me forward. Right. And then I can extrapolate out and see that that's true of everyone. Uh, if we only take that. And so, that Ishwara, every time I talk to you, Mataji, I learn uh, so many things, and I, I'll always remember that Ishwara begins with is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, taking uh, taking the isness of Ishwara, that the life just is, yeah. that the universe is happening. Sri uh, Krishna says over and over in the Gita that everything happens by his will, but that he does nothing. Right,
2: so right. It's
1: not, as you said, it's not God sitting up in a cloud somewhere doing things. Right. Uh, no, it's just uh, this is the flowering of the uh, of the creation. Yes. And so when I take it uh, as uh, everything is a gift of the Divine Mother. And one last thing, let me just mention, and then I would, in fact, let me put it as a question for you. that One of the things, uh, is it not, that we can uh, do as far as a, Attitude that helps us through this sort of experience is the practice of surrender, prapatti. That is uh, surrender to God. Uh, how does uh, how does surrender figure into the uh, uh, the picture that we're talking about,
2: Madhati? That's a wonderful segue. You know, you read my mind because that is where I was going with this. Because when you said that, you know, all this is unique to one's own karma and then it just, uh, it's happening to everybody in its own way and then you see that it's not personal, you're not being attacked Uh. personally. I was going to say that, you know, that if everything is Bhagavan, Well, you know, in the beginning you mentioned the loneliness, the disenchantment, the the loss, the severance of a sense of identity and, you know, the feeling of meaninglessness and purposelessness, all that is part of the psychological order, which is also Ishvara, which is a manifestation Mm -hmm. of God. So this Ah, psychological order, when we look at it as the order, yes, if one is cooped up in the house for two months or one month, you know, how how long it will be, two months in a row, naturally there will be, you know, fear. Naturally there will be uncertainty. Naturally there will be loneliness. Naturally there will be a sense of severance from a, a, you know, purpose. And uh, there will be a questioning of identity. So this is a natural outcome. And so when we talk about a natural outcome, it's not just happening to one person. It's happening Uh, to 7 billion people in the world at the same time. So there you see the law. That's where you see the presence. So in other words, we have to learn to ishwarize the emotions. And you, yeah, when you ishwarize, is that a word, I suppose, now it is. So when you ishwarize <laughs> the emotions and then you see that you're not being targeted, that this is, this is something universal, then you, can, you, you have that inner space to be able to work with it. You can see that you're not being targeted. You're not the only one you, losing the job. You're not the only one whose future is uncertain. You're not the only one, you know, who's losing a loved one or who is far away from a loved one who cannot go because of all these restrictions. So you see that this whole world is a web and this is just, you know, this is... And your feelings, uh, your feelings of limitation, your feelings of constriction are included within the order. So then, you know, that's where the surrender comes in because that's what is, you know, the altar. And that's why it is called an altar, because it has the power to alter these feelings, you know. And so then that is where, you know, the surrender comes from a sense of helplessness, from a recognized self, a sense of helplessness that everybody is going through this. And so then we resort to prayer. And that is where the prayer comes in, because you know when nothing else works. I mean, nobody prays. You know when everything is going one's way, <laughs> there is no uh, incentive yes, yes. to pray. <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. when nothing works, then you know then you think of dialing Bhagavan just like you dial nine one one in an emergency.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. As one of our swamis used to say, that uh, when everything is going well, going well, no one asks why is it. Why am I so happy? Why is everything going so well? Uh, we just do, we just enjoy everything going well, but when things uh, s- uh, seem to go in a way that I wasn't expecting or wasn't wanting, then suddenly we think, why, why? And so, uh, actually, things like this have a uh, the uh, function in human life of making us uh, reflective, and also uh, segging off of another thing, or just not really segging off, but just adding a, uh, a a point to what you said. Uh, by the very fact that this is a common experience around the world now, it's spread around the world, uh, that itself, if we recognize it, it gives us a sense of connection. Yes, That itself gives us a sense of uh, a a larger life. One of the problems in loneliness and isolation is that we feel cut off from the larger life of the world. But no, by sharing experience, by recognizing that we're all in this together,
2: even just the thought...
1: Yeah, taking a part. Yes, that we're uh, that uh, we're we're taking a part in a cosmic life in this grand yagna, this grand sacrifice, which uh, which life is, and so that also brings. And then uh, what you said, beautiful about uh, 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 prayer and uh, surrender. Uh, when we pray, what are we doing? We're connecting ourselves through prayer to the universal that which connects all souls the the soul of all souls the the isness of the universe yes everything that has existence in the universe is but that isness is uh, ishvara that's right because ishvara is the one who is yes and so by praying i'm connecting to the very isness of the whole universe but it's an isness which is made of uh, which is conscious which is uh, love which is uh, wisdom uh, and so I'm connecting uh, not to a material isness, but to an all-loving conscious uh, aware awareness, which is isness.
2: Very wonderfully put. Swamiji, shall we take this conversation towards the look at uh, how we can perhaps look at some of these, uh, you know, uh, the effects of uh, this corona virus, uh, coronavirus as a, as a gift. What are some of the ways we can do that? And uh, so shall we shall we go over there now? Yes. yes. Yeah, would you yes, like yes. to say some things?
1: Sure. One of the things, uh, again, is that it makes us pause. It makes us stop. It makes us reflect. It shakes up life. Uh, and without a shake up, most of us just follow the ruts that are in front of us or the ruts we've already dug for ourselves and we just stay in the same ruts. But this is causing people to uh, uh, rethink their lives. And that may be painful, but it's a blessed pain. It's a, it's a, it's a problem uh, which has great promise behind it. Um, I, uh, and again, another th- uh, 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 aspect to that is that it uh, makes us recognize uh, the insufficiency of our usual emotional props. One of the things that uh, in spiritual life we try to cultivate is, again, the sense of dependence on God, dependence on Ishwara. Uh, and why do we depend on Ishwara? Because we can always depend on Ishwara. There's nothing else in life which uh, is completely dependable. Everything else is eventually taken away from us. Yes. And another thing that uh, we have an opportunity to do now, in the midst of our boredom, and the sense of of our sense of disorientation, uh, et cetera, is to give a new order to our lives. That is to find a way to reorganize our lives so that we put uh, our priorities in order. Oftentimes, we just go through life and uh, step by step and just do whatever is in front of us to do and don't think much about it. But at times like this, uh, taking up or being forced to take a pause in life uh, makes us uh, uh, prioritize and see what's really important. And once we do that, then we see that, let me give some order to my life. Let me introduce, if I don't already have it, let me introduce spiritual practice. If I do have it, let me give more importance to it. Uh, Let me learn how to uh, spend some time reflective in prayer, meditation, or worship as my... Uh, temperament uh, dictates, uh, time for uh, sacred study, uh, time for service to others. And again, through service, we learn to connect. Service is something that gives us a connection to the larger life of the universe and makes us feel uh, connected to something larger. And uh, so all of these are things that uh, uh, the present situation helps us. One last thing that we mentioned, and then get your uh, uh, further reflections is that in meditation, what we're trying to do when we sit for meditation is we're trying to do what Corona uh, kor- uh, is forcing us to do now, <laughs> what the virus is forcing us to do now. That is, we shut out the senses, we shut out the world, we shut out our normal uh, props, our emotional props, and all of that, and just to try to be. We try to connect to the divine. We try to connect to the self, uh, whether we're on the path of knowledge or the path of devotion, we try to connect with the the, the, uh, uh, universal reality and find our stability in that. And uh, so this really is an opportunity to uh, fix the mind in uh, what we're trying to fix the mind in through meditation. Very well said.
2: Wonderful. You know, when I think, reflect on this issue, I start um, seeing, it it is, you know, but natural to see these paradoxes. And uh, this is described as a war, as a battle. Again, this, you know, goes back to the Bhagavad Gita, which is again set in a battlefield. And the battle is both outwards, you know. Here is this virus, which is very difficult to catch. How are you? You know, I mean, it's very easy to catch, <laughs> but what I'm saying is <laughs> difficult to, uh, it's difficult to outwit. So, yes, you know, yes. so and then how do you, how do you, you know, fight against this virus by staying absolutely still and doing nothing? It's, it's a, the, 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 the paradoxes are just very interesting. You know, again, Ah, it goes back, you know, I think of the (laughs) verse in the Bhagavad Gita, the one who sees action in in inaction and the one Mm. who sees inaction in action, he is the, he, she is the buddhiman, you know, and uh, Uh that's wonderful because here, you know, we are given an opportunity, an opportunity for stillness. And in this stillness, there are a lot of gifts. The first prasad, the prasada of stillness, is to see that, you know, you you are such a small little cog in this universe. I mean, you can just see a few NASA pictures for that and then you see when the Earth itself becomes a little pixel, you know, then you see that, you know, and then your, your home state and your little building where you go to work and your car and, you know, all the things that you take seriously, they are not even visible at this you know level so you are not you're, you're smaller than a pixel and then still if you you know we draw from the workforce and if so many people in the world have withdrawn from the workforce interestingly the world is still going on you know it's still <laughs> going on it's very clear that you, you are not holding it up neither am i nor you nor anybody you know, uh, yes. if anything anybody is holding it up, it is Bhagavan. It is it is already happening. And that itself should be kind of, you know, it gives pause. It it gives it's, it's food for thought and it gives a lot of humility. You know, there is something, it's like, okay, you know, the one is not all crazy, like I have to do this because without me this will not run. Well, it is running. Even the economies of big, big countries are running somehow, you know, even with so many jobless claims, they are running. You know, everything is running. And then, you know, and this is this is exactly, you know, what I thought when you quoted, uh, when Bhagavan said, you know, I am, you know I, am, I am the doer of everything, but I I don't do anything.
1: I don't do anything, yes, yes. yes.
2: And here is an opportunity for us to be like Ishwara. Bhagawan is giving us this gift of just being able to be still and just watch and just watch things happening. And then it is also an opportunity to reconnect with loved ones. You know that, uh, uh, so now it's not an option to outsource the children. You have to, you know, you have to take care of them. (laughs) You have to teach them. Schools are closed. And then, you know, you have to, you know, the significant other who had just become plain old other had to ha- now, now has to become <laughs> significant again because you have to, you're significantly impacted by them and you have to make, uh, you know, maybe that's why they are called significant other. But that's why you have to make space now you have to make space there is a lot of sacrifice there is also a lot of beauty in surrender and sacrifice and so um, i would suggest to everybody to use this time you know to see the grandeur of this uh, you know like what else could have just put a reset button on this whole universe and then brought it to this, you know, place. We are brought to our knees. And then we have to just, you know, all we can, you know, all we can do is to is to see the how off, awesome it is. Instead of seeing it as awful, we have to see it as awesome. And that is where the, you know, that is where the growth lies. And everything will be taken care of. And this is where we have to have this, Shraddha and Bhakti and with that, you know, with prayer and with Bhakti, you know, it will, uh, it will happen. It will, uh, you know, it will, um, you know, go forward.
1: Yes, yes. Just one thing on uh, uh, something you said a few minutes ago. Uh, There's in pop psychology, there's the hundred year rule. Mm. That is, they say that when you're facing a problem and you feel overwhelmed by the, uh, the problem, just think. A hundred years from now, is anyone going to care? Right. And the answer is always no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so if that's true, why do I allow myself to be obsessed with uh, with the things that are happening? Let me deal with them. Yes, right. I can't ignore it. If I've got a bill in the mail that I don't know how to pay, I have to find some way to pay it. I have to do something. But it's not the end of the world. Yes. Yeah. And so let me learn to take things in stride and see things uh, within uh, perspective. And uh, one other thing I just wanted to mention, and then we can go to questions also and uh, uh, get uh, 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 some uh, uh, feedback from uh, you also on uh, what I was going to say, and that is what people can do now uh, uh, in order to help the situation. One uh, uh, Again, as, uh, as we said a little while ago, uh, finding a way to give order to the uh, sudden sense of chaos that we find when we're when uh, work and activity is taken away from us. Learning to find a way to order my uh, life so that. Uh, my time is utilized rather than just uh, sitting and binging on uh, television shows and uh, playing endless solitaire. Yes, there's a place for relaxation. That uh, certainly there's no harm in relaxation. We all need some relaxation. But if we're just engaging in things just because we're bored out of our minds and we are doing it to avoid life and avoid ourselves, then that's a problem. And so if we if we can. Uh, organize our lives so that we uh, we spend some time in study, spend some time in devotional reading, some time in worship, some time in prayer, sometimes in meditation, sometimes in service, and also uh, some time in physical work. That was something that in the Christian monastic life they uh, discovered long ago that it kept the mind healthy to do something physical. And so whether it's gardening or whether it's cleaning or whatever it is, to engage in uh, uh, some sort of physical activity is extremely helpful uh, always, and especially at times like this. So learning to, when I have suddenly time as not occupied by my usual activities, then let me learn to uh, utilize it.
2: Very important, yes. And to that, I would just add two small things: eat well, rest yes. well. Yes, Self-care.
1: yes, yes, yes.
2: Yeah, self care yes. is important because your sense of disconnection comes from you know just going being on the run, and so ah, yes. You know, we learn to we learn to stop. We don't uh, live life in violent metaphors. You know, just jump into the shower, grab a bite to eat, rush out of the door, beat the traffic, hit the road. This is how we live. You know, and then come uh, back, yes, yes. nuke something. These are all violent <laughs> metaphors, and then you crash. You know, now you don't have to do that. <laughs> No Ah, Hindu should jump into the shower. You know, no Hindu should grab a bite to eat. This is all yajna. We slow down Ah, enough to sort of, you know, make a nice meal and eat with one another and, you know, taste what is going in because there is, we have the time. So Ah, mindful consumption and, uh, you know, and a kind of an engaged uh, uh, life and a lot of, uh, what's that, you know, togetherness. And joy. There is joy in all this.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Very well said.
0: So Swamiji, Swamiji, can I uh, start asking some questions? I just have to say that Swamiji, I think you may have just rattled off a daily dialogue. So I'm going to be very mindful of the words that I use in describing how I'm running through my day. (laughs) (laughs) um, That was a beautiful foundation. And um, we have many questions. I will try to get to as many as we can. And I'll also try to um, kind of... uh, organize them the best that I can, um, taking these coming in very quickly. Uh, But this, there's two questions um, and maybe Swamiji, you can answer the first part and Swamiji, you can answer the second. The first part is from Mukesh from San Diego. Swamiji, he says, uh, hello and pranam. And he says, (laughs) loss of life, leaving your loved ones at the hospital and never seeing them again, even during the funeral, is a very painful experience. Um, as is not being able to perform our Hindu rituals of last rites. Um, What can one do to cope with this pain? And then this is a second question that then maybe Swamiji can answer, is that it's also related to loss of life. But how can we begin to understand the loss of many family members at the same time um, in one family due to coronavirus? Is that karma? So Swamiji and then Swamiji.
1: Yes, Namaste, Mukesh. Uh, uh, that is, as I as I uh, as I said at the beginning of this uh, dialogue, uh, we should never minimize the real difficulties that many people are facing. Uh, yes, we can learn to take everything as a gift, uh, but that's not said lightly. That doesn't mean everything, Take everything as something that's meant to please me and make me happy in the uh, superficial sense. Uh, And so when we are facing loss of life, and at times like this when uh, social distancing is enforced and we're not able to do the things that we would like to do, we're not able perhaps to be with the loved one who is passing away because uh, we're not allowed, because of social distancing, etc. Certainly that's a a great difficulty that any of us would feel. So one thing is we have to learn uh, in life to have real feelings that is not to not to uh, try to smooth over everything to make make everything nice. But to recognize that, yes, sadness is also a part of life. Suffering is also a part of life. Uh, uh, The experience of disadvantage and inability, that's also a part of life. And so that doesn't mean in the midst of inability or suffering or seeing someone pass away that you love, that you're supposed to be happy. No, that's not the meaning at all. Even a great soul like Sri Ramakrishna, when his nephew Akshay passed away, at first he clapped and danced because he saw that Akshay's soul was uh, 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 liberated from the body. But then for two days after that, he wept because he wouldn't see his nephew anymore. And so... Uh, when we're facing a situation like that, the death of uh, loved ones, and we can't be there with them, we can't perform the Shraddha or other uh, last rites that we want to perform uh, for them, uh, then we can always pray for them. Mm -hmm. So first hold them in love and speak to them. Uh, If You're not with them, you're at a distance. uh, If they're still alive, then uh, speak to them from a distance, uh, uh, meaning... You know that they can't hear you. You may be miles away. But still, you can speak to them, and the intent of your feeling and your thought will, uh, will reach them. After they pass away, still speak to them. And the Hindu tradition is believed that for some days after a person passes away, they st- and it's a matter of experience also for some people, uh, people are still in touch with their loves, loved ones in a, certain, in a special way before they continue their journey. And so speak to them. Tell them what you wanted to tell them but couldn't because you were isolated from them. Pray for them. Even Not that we have to back up every spiritual teaching by modern statistical studies, but even at Harvard, they've done statistical studies to show that prayer for a person who doesn't even know they're being prayed for actually statistically helps the person. And so um, pray for them, talk to them, tell them what you always wanted to tell them, especially after the person has died for some uh, days. uh, They are receptive and aware of the ones that they loved, and uh, get the messages uh, consciously that you give to them. And so, again, we have to accept life as it comes to us. We have to accept the circumstances, but we're not left without recourse.
2: Thank you, Swamiji. I will keep the answers very brief so that we can get to the maximum number of questions. Uh, yeah. So uh, losing multiple family members, I read something like that on the news a, few, uh, a, few, a couple of weeks ago where many multiple members in the family had passed away and that is some, that is also karma is some very heavy karma for the people who are survivors of this kind of, to have to bear with, you know, this kind of a loss. Because even one person, losing one person is so difficult. And then you have, you know, so many people at once having to deal with it. It is some kind of a, you know, karma. And uh, so, therefore, there is, you know, uh, we have, as Swamiji said, you know, one has to be able to, you know, pray for the uh, grace and the courage to be with it and even though you don't have uh, rituals are not possible you can do something at home some kind of a closure and we have a whole you know year in in the hindu tradition we have a whole year we give ourselves a whole year to mourn. and so there are different things that, that happen on the 11th day 13th day 16th day uh, uh, you know monthly rituals to all the way and so something like that to connect to pray to you know 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 to to remember them so we take the time to grieve and grief is something that you have to go through and resolve
0: so the next two questions i'm also going to put together and it it doesn't matter either one of you can answer it but um one is that is there a value in addressing the root cause of coronavirus and i think kind of related that um you know this uh, Sonal understands that the emphasis on the silver lining—that that's important—but doesn't the awfulness of all of this? Isn't that what really mo- motivates us to find solutions?
2: Well, you know, I will. I will just respond briefly and then turn it over to Swamiji so that he will have a chance to say something as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one struck me. Isn't the awfulness motivates? Well, perhaps, perhaps the awfulness is, you know, motivates, but I don't like to see it as awfulness. It's more of a sense of, you know, just being stopped. Yes, it is awful. What is happening is very difficult. You know, especially when we look at this, you know, very rich country and then there are no masks in the richest country in the world. And the frontline health workers are putting their lives in danger every uh, every day. It is awful and there are so many such issues that are awful and yes it you know sometimes the difficult things you know help us to to wake up so to mm. wake up in the time of the crisis but at the same time to stick you know at this place of awfulness and victimization is again you know making you know staying in the bubble of your personal projections and personal reality this is what, you know, if anything, I hope this conversation has done is to see oneself as, you know, as as included in the whole. And to, to, to have, you know, to be able to have that uh, objectivity, to be able to see that it's one is not targeted and that there is some kind of a wisdom behind it. Mm.
1: Yes, and in tune with that, uh, the in the Bhagavad Gita, which we keep turning back to, because the Gita is the perfect uh, metaphor for life itself. Uh, the first chapter is uh, the uh, Vishara Yoga. Uh, Vishara Yoga Nama Prathamodhyaya. The first chapter known as the Yoga of Sadness. Uh, and so it was the sadness of Arjuna, the crisis that he faced, which allowed him to open to Shri Krishna. But the important thing is, as Swamini was uh, in saying, is that uh, Arjuna didn't stay in the awfulness of his situation. It was the awfulness of the situation which uh, made him stop uh, and become open to the influence of Shri Krishna. Uh, so the purpose of the awfulness was not to stay there and to hold on to it. It was to open him up, to make him stop, to pause, and then to be receptive, and then to be lifted out of that. So we often think that uh, by fear, by, awful, uh, by suffering, by all of that, uh, uh, getting worked up over things that we're going to be more effective. No, we're not. We're much more effective when the mind is calm and alert, not calm and sleepy, <laughs> but calm and alert. Uh, just one example, we had a swami, in, uh, an English swami in uh, Tribuco Canyon, California for many years, and he had been a medic in the British Army and he spent the whole of World War II in a Japanese prison camp as a prisoner. And uh, uh, the only reason he wasn't executed was that he was trained as a medic and they needed medics in the prison camps. And so, at Tribuco, when uh, something would happen, there somebody would have an accident and have to be taken to the hospital or something, everybody would be all excited, uh, but this time we would just come see the situation, and just handle it appropriately. No excitement, uh, no drama just but he was the one who was effective, not the ones who got all upset, and so the awfulness, yes, it may motivate us to seek a cure for the from the disease. But it's not the person who's suffering from the awfulness who does that. It's the person who sees the tragedy and says, let me find something that will help others.
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you, Swamiji. Uh, Here's another question. How can we learn to find joy in this imposed vanprashtasham way of life (laughs) when we're used to a highly materialistic life in the West?
1: Well, I'll, uh, would uh, start you want me on, to go first
0: uh, or would... Uh, you know what, how about we do this? Swamiji, you can take this one and I'll give the next yeah. question to Swamiji. Okay. okay. That so, way we can take the questions. Yeah, that way it can
2: be a little more efficient. Uh, yes. Uh, so, you know, um, I think some of some of this has already been answered, you know. So in this enforced vanaprastha, you are calling it, I'm directly going one more step further and calling it enforced sannyasa. <laughs> you know. <laughs> See the humor in it. See the paradox and see the humor. And actually, as you see the humor, and, you know, one one can see very clearly how little one needs to get get on in, in the life, you know and how little one needs. And if if the, something is not available, then there is, you know, the, the mind is very creative and then it uh, it makes do. And this is how the grandmothers and the great grandmothers in the tradition, you know, they would think of cooking something and then something is not available. The shop is closed. And, you know, in those days they did not have, you know, all this instant filly, you can get things, you know, a drone would drop it off on your front lawn. All this was not there. And so they would manage. And some some very creative dishes came as a result of this. So from this, you know, kitchen example, we can see this is a very tangible material example. You know, it is not some kind of a big, you know, some kind of a some kind of an engineer uh, uh, engineering thing. It is a very, you know, a um, practical, pragmatic example, and so see how you can be creative. See how you can, you know, fulfill your needs, and uh, and then you know, it's okay to grieve whatever you are missing. It's all right, but in that, but you know, it's uh, it's okay to grieve and then move past it, mm-hmm. because again, the mind is usually addicted to certain things because of you know habit, and it's all. Oh, this is a lovely time to. Uh, you know, uh, flip the habits. And to, and then if you, uh, if one is mindful, one can see that how did this habit come come, you know, how did this habit come and I really don't need this. And sometimes what happens is that, you know, we find that the habit has come out of some, you know, Uh, because my mother did it this way, my father did it this way. It is just, you know, it's a familial habit. It's a social habit and these can be shed because you are not your family. You know, you are connected to your family, but you're you're, your own person. And so take the time to
0: discover that. And that's the best gift. Okay. Good, good advice there. Um, To Swamiji, um, how do we deal with fear? Many listeners are physicians or on or frontline workers that are interacting with patients or elderly, uh, with volunteers taking food to them, and they fear that they may get sick or they may get others. So there, And then there's a constant news cycle. So what sadhana or what practices can we do to deal with fear?
1: Yes, that's a very good question and a very difficult question, because fear is something which is one of the hardest emotions to uh, to deal with. Uh, and so in a situation like this, say, take the example that the questioner used of uh, medical workers who uh, have to work with the sick and they're afraid themselves, and perhaps they don't have, as many don't have now, they don't have the proper protective uh, equipment. Uh, and so... Uh, this is. there's no easy way out of this. The only way out of it is a real way. And that real way is the spiritual way and that is difficult, uh, but it is possible. And that is to, first of all, to learn just to uh, pay attention to that which I have to do, that I'm a medical person, there's a person suffering, and so I will do the best I can for this person in spite of the fact that I, don't, I can't protect myself the way that I know I should. Uh, yeah, of course, if I can protect myself better, then do that. But we're assuming that you can't, because many can't right now. Uh, then to recognize that this person needs my help, I'm going to help them, and I have to leave the rest to God. Uh, If God wants me to come out of this, or if it's my time to go, I have to be all right with both. Now, that's a hard statement. That's not a statement I make easily, to say that uh, if my time has come, uh, I'm going to catch the... Maybe I will catch the disease and I will die. Yes, that's a possibility. And that's not an easy possibility. So I don't say it lightly. But... That's one of the benefits, and again, not happy benefits, but one of the deep benefits that uh, a situation like this has is that it makes us confront questions like this. Uh, Am I ready to help another person when I can help them, but I know that it's at a risk to my own life? Not at the risk of wasting a few minutes or wasting a few dollars or somebody boring me with their conversation I don't want to listen to. No. Am I ready to uh, help them? And maybe at the cost of my own life, if I can do that, as Swami Vivekananda used to say, that if you can really do that, then you'll be free. You'll be spiritually free because you've overcome the greatest fear of all, the fear of death. And so, again, that's a big thing. I'm not, to, uh, not taking it lightly at all and uh, not passing it off as uh, just a, a platitude or something. It's a real problem. But if we can do that, and if we're called to do that, and we can do it, then we find that we have overcome the greatest fear in life.
0: Okay, we'll, we'll take one more question. And this is from Lori G. Um, I'm in my 60s, and I'm finding it easier to navigate this pandemic season, even though it's my first. I'm finding it very easy to stay in the present as the future is totally uncertain. My youngest daughter, however, who's in her 20s, is having the hardest time with reconciling this new reality. She's really angry things are shut down because she's worried about making money to pay rent, etc. What do you think about the differences across generations? Swamini ji?
2: Oh, it is for me? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Laurie, this uh, I can appreciate. You know, there is a big generation gap here. And uh, it is true, you know, uh, uh, those of us who are older, it's easier to sit, uh, you know, easier relatively to sit still. It is easier to um, uh, come to a place of acceptance. But for those who are younger, you know, because there is a, um, the, the generation gap means that there is still that feeling of do-worship, which is very, very strong. So, the, when there is a strong sense of do-worship, then the frustration is also equally strong because then there is nothing to do. So that is, you know, basically what it is. And so if I can suggest, you know, for, that you can work with your daughter to do some pranayama, because sometimes meditation is also hard, but even just one minute meditation. You know, the acronym for that is OM, O-M-M. So we can have one minute meditation. We can have some simple <laughs> pranayama, you know, where you alternate nostril breathing, some kind of a mindful breathing. And so all that has effects, you know, when you just watch the mind for even a minute. And when you just say the, say a mantra, simple one, Om Namashivaya, whatever it is. And when you breathe consciously, it has an effect over the mind and how how it, you know, uh, you know, helps. And so, you know, all over the YouTube and other places, there are so many videos about Pranayama and everything. So, but then if you direct her to the videos, she may not be ready to start on her own because that is not something that will attract immediately. And so I would suggest you learn a few things and you do it with her. So this will be, uh, you know, mother-daughter quality time, and it will make her feel loved, and it'll make her feel like you're caring enough to do all these things with her, not just, to, you know, sending her a link via a, a text and or a or an email and say, okay, do this. But here you are taking the trouble to do it with her. This is how you do it, and then that way, you know, uh, there is a there is a bonding, and then it will it will be successful. I will also pray for.
0: Thank you, Swaminiji. Um, so we have, we, we could go on for a long time. I certainly could, but we know that it's it's getting late on the East Coast. So I want to offer my deepest pranams and gratitude to the two of you for sharing uh, what what we could take from you in this hour and there's so much more i would encourage everyone who's listening that you can visit uh the uh, vedanta society of greater houston's website to um hear and read more from swamiji and you can also uh look for arshvidya in eugene oregon and um read and listen to more from swaminiji as as you heard um there's a lot to learn and there's great comfort in knowing that our ancient tradition still has such great relevance in our lives today, and especially uh, when this pandemic is affecting each and every one of us in, in very similar ways. So I thank you again. I want to remind all the listeners out there to not miss out on next week's doubleheader. Uh, We have Dr. Akhil Palanissami, who will be talking about building immunity with Ayurveda and integrative uh, medicine. That is Monday, April 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern for one hour. And then on Thursday... We have an Ayurvedic cooking demonstration uh, with Divya Alter of Divya's Kitchen in New York City, and that is Thursday, April 16th at 8 p.m. The Hindu American Foundation is here uh, for you. We are still working hard, so please do consider supporting our work so that we can continue to bring you quality programming that's relevant. And to all of you, namaste, stay healthy, Stay safe, be well. Namaste. 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 Om Tat
1: Thank you. Om Tat